Welcome to the Olitz Podcast. This is episode number two. And if you missed episode number one, we're working here with Otis and we are going through uh, creating an online course and, and we're just trying to figure out some of the things that happen in that process. And I'm just genuinely curious about some of the things that happen since I've never actually created a course to teach online before. So um, if you missed that episode, go back and check it out if you want to catch up to where we're at. But one of the things that we had talked about in the first episode, Otis, was that you were kind of going with a strategy that maybe, you know, is a little bit different. I'm sure there are quite a few professors here at USFSP, but also, you know, around the world that use some of these different strategies online. But some of our students are programmed to assume an online course is going to be a certain way based on their K-12 experience and other things. So your first assignment was one that you had said you were going to do quite a bit of feedback and that was going to be their opening day attendance assignment. How did that go? It went pretty well. Um, you know, obviously don't have necessarily terribly high expectations out of a first day attendance assignment because, you know, it's before drop ad and all that stuff. And But the nice thing about it is that it kind of gave me, an, it, the first of all, the, the assignment was relevant to the course. It wasn't just a th sort of throwaway assignment. Um, and it foreshadowed the work that we would continue to do or and are continuing to do throughout the class. So they got a taste of exactly what they were going to be in for. Um, and so I think that that was helpful too in the long run, but in the short run for that one particular assignment, I was actually kind of impressed with how well everybody did it. Um, it uh, they all treated it with professionalism and you know what I mean like it I don't know I think that that was one expectation that I wasn't sure of in other words I didn't know how they were going to react to doing something that I considered semi-serious you know what I mean and and uh, but they all actually reacted really well it may have something to do with the fact that they're juniors and seniors it's a 4,000 level class so and it's within the major so you know you figure that you've got some um, higher achievers in that group, perhaps. Yeah, more than probably, you know, freshmen coming in. But I think a lot of times, and I can speak as a former K-12 teacher, you know, I think if we assume low expectations, or I think we do assume low expectations too often when we're doing course design or when we're, you know, we're thinking, well, this probably won't work because they may not get it or they may not. And I think what you're saying is, you know, to some degree, these students are sort of prepared to try different things and we shouldn't let that be the reason we don't you know if we're just only not trying new things as professors because well what if they're not ready you know maybe we maybe this first assignment is a good example to people who are designing a course to say you know hey they may actually be more ready than we think they are right uh, you know, in the videos and in the opening remarks that I had for the course, so in text and in video, I was made sure to be clear that the assignment was indicative of what they would be experiencing in the course um, and the expectations and so forth. So I, I think that I hopefully prepared them for what that meant. And um, so maybe, you know, there's just a lot of good research out there that says your expect the way that you set up the expectations for your learners make a big difference in how they perform. So, you know, I just uh, took that to heart and, you know, did as the best job that I could in preparing them for what was coming and um, to help them to understand why I did that. 
you know, there's a, an interesting philosophy of this sort of transparent teaching philosophy where you um, are telling your students what you're doing. So you're basically oh, pulling back the curtain a little bit and giving them the reasons why you're doing a particular assignment, the reason it's designed that way. Um, and that can mean a big difference into them really getting it and even performing at a higher level because they go, oh, now it's not just busy work, I get it. Right, yeah, I mean, and I think where you're kind of going here is it goes more into the instructional design aspect of this, you know, and, and I think as a as an instructor, as a teacher, um, if you don't have that experience in design, instructional design, um, teaching in that way, that could be maybe a limiting factor in terms of how do we make sure, or maybe not thinking of that, how do we make sure students are getting that information? Are they prepared? So is that something that in the process of designing your course, you know, either you had um, someone who could help you with that, or is that something that with your experience, you're able to, you know, like you said, you mentioned research and you mentioned some of those things. I guess my question is, as somebody who is, has never designed an online course before, are there, is there a way that you can make me understand the process of making your students aware of what's expected to them more than just, because in my, my mind, that's going right before the assignment, just saying, hey, in this assignment, I expect this. Is, is there other ways to show that? Well, the big difference, I think, is in the, the way that online learning is a, is a mode of delivery in and of itself. Um, we take a lot for granted in the interpersonal interactions that we have with students inside the classroom. When one student asks a simple question, then all the students get the benefit of that answer. And obviously, it, it's not always this sort of one-to-one -one ratio. In other words, if you ask a simple question, you don't always provide just a simple answer. It often can lead to other things. You elaborate. And so there's this richness of communication that goes on in a face-to-face -face environment that makes up for perhaps a lack of explicit directions for an assignment or something like that. And so you just kind of don't think about it. Um, put it on autopilot, so to speak. But in an online class, the only thing they see is what you put on paper or what you put on a video or, you know, however, whatever you do intentionally is the only thing that they see. There's none of this incidental information. And so I think that that's the biggest thing to remember is that in online, you can't take things for granted. You kind of have to repeat yourself frequently, make sure the information appears in multiple areas and that it appears in the timeliest of fashions. So in other words, don't bury all of your assignment information as far as rules and rubrics and expectations in the syllabus. Make sure that you put it actually in the assignment. So I even think that translates to face-to-face -face courses. I mean, you can still use Canvas to portray information and to give them all those rich details so that way, if they're at home working on something they forget, they can just go back to it. So it's really about that. It's about not assuming that they're going to get it and that you're very explicit and you repeat yourself frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think the strategies that you're outlining there make a lot of sense. Um, putting it in the syllabus, you mentioned the syllabus, and I think there's a lot of thought and discussion about syllabus and uh, syllabi in general and who pays attention to them and do people read them. And I think we're almost to a point of where people think, well, I won't put that in the syllabus because most likely people aren't going to read it. You know, we may be trending that way in some in some aspects. 
But I think what you said makes a lot of sense because there are going to be people who read the syllabus. And so you want to have that information there. And there are going to be people who read the instructions of the assignment, so you want it there. There's going to be people who skip that, hard as it may seem to believe, but as a former student that skipped directions quite frequently, sadly, I can tell you that that happens. So putting it in as many places that you can makes a lot of sense because, like you said, you can't just assume, especially online, that they're somehow going to pick up on these things. The other part that I'm not sure that you address with that is online, there's usually a little bit more camaraderie between students in terms of I could sit and not listen to my teacher and then when I left go, hey, did they say what we had to do for this? And my you know, neighbor student would tell me. Online, that's not as easy to do. You may not be as involved with your students. So just a couple of things to think about. I think that to me, if you're, especially if you're going to try something new or different, then you should definitely put it everywhere if you can. Right. Right. And and I definitely think the format of my course was somewhat different. Um, I made it very clear to them that they couldn't work ahead, but I didn't just say that in the opening video and then assume that they would remember that or really get it. You know, it, it, it's funny. I remember when my kids were younger and I would say things to them over and over again and they wouldn't seem to get it. And then they would go to a friend's house and then that somebody else like their parents would say it and they would come back and they'd be like oh so-and-so's dad said this and that's amazing like i never thought of that before and i'm like i've been telling you that for years so you know it, it sometimes you that repetition really matters and just kind of hammering home the details like you know the good example in this particular class is citations you know so i have upper level classmen or upperclassmen in the, in the class and yet the citations were lacking for you know a long time. It's only we're in week four now, and finally, I think the citations are at a point to where they're at par. In other words, they're where they should be. Um, considering the fact that citation information is essentially free, and you can copy and paste as long as you find a good resource, <laughs> it you know it doesn't take that much cognitive effort. To produce a good citation and so I, I but it took a while for them to sort of really wrap their brain around that yeah so the expectations but then it sounds like as well the feedback is really important and i know that that was something that we mentioned in the first episode where you know how concerned were you with can you keep up with the feedback and if we run into situations where the students aren't understanding like it sounds like you know it took a few weeks for them to all sort of get on the same page with these citations can you step me through that process at all like assignment number one how was the feedback that you were able to give to the students and then as the weeks have progressed um, how has that affected the way the classes run and have you been able to maintain that type of feedback throughout or have you seen pitfalls well, one of the big things that I wanted to do was to um, encourage social interaction in an indirect manner. And what I mean by that was that a lot of their assignments are public. They're in discussion boards. And so they're all sharing their opinions and talking about things. And I'm not requiring them to respond to each other. But the idea that it's all posted in a public forum means that they get the benefit of seeing what their other students have done. And they can find, oh, well, this person you know, shares my opinion or they saw something sort of in the same way that I did. And that is certainly helpful for the, a, a portion of the feedback. In the initial stages, um, I... Uh, 
you know, I had to bring my TA up to speed. That's one thing in order to sort of get him to understand where I, what I was expecting. But I did spend a lot of time in the very beginning with a lot of feedback. And I put it directly in the assignment. So Canvas has this nifty feature in the speed grader for when you're going through it to just have a comment and it attaches right to the assignment. So when the student clicks on their grades button um, right next to the grade, there's a little bubble and they can click on it and see the comment that I left for them. But I didn't even, you know, at, at, I wasn't people like I would leave a question or a response to a student in the comment and they wouldn't respond back. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if they're even seeing this feedback. So I actually did a, a really short video tutorial and was like, look, here's where you can find this feedback. So that way you can respond to me and correct your errors. So I, I the way that I it went pretty much the way that I thought in the sense that I would spend a lot of time in the first few weeks giving excess feedback to make sure that they understood the formatting requirements I was asking for, the way that I wanted them to converse. Like for instance, one of the things I talked about was the difference between um, conversational assignments and scholarly assignments. And so the, the first part of our assignments, I was actually asking for their opinions. And so they use a lot of I, we statements, right? They're speaking in first person about their own experiences and that's fine. But as we've moved forward, I've sort of edged them out of that and I'm like going, okay guys, now it's time to prepare for these scholarly assignments. And now you stop using that type of conversation. You have to back it up with citations, you know, and that sort of thing. And so we're moving into a new area, but that all required a different level of feedback. Um, but then there's, a, you know, I can leave public feedback in the discussion too, and that everybody gets the benefit of that. You just have to be careful that you're not being um, too critical. You know, it's good to bring out particular points, but you know, since it's a tied to a grade because it's a graded assignment, I want to make sure that any any sort of critique or feedback that might be sensitive is is private. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's that's a huge thing, and and the relationship between you and your TA, I think, is really important, too. Like you had mentioned, like they have to sort of understand the direction with which you're going. And then they also have to be capable of doing what you need them to do in terms of feedback and in terms of directing the course. So did you, you know, when you meet your TA, is there like a, you know, I've never had a TA before. Well, actually, that's true. When I was a K K-12 teacher, I had a TA, but they weren't allowed to grade. They weren't, they were allowed to basically just run pat, you know, there wasn't a whole lot they could do. So how do you communicate those expectations with a TA and how do you maintain that knowing that they are still doing what you want and what you expect? So fortunately, um, well, the, the first thing I did was mute the assignment in Canvas, which means that you essentially turn it off so the students don't see their grade or their feedback until you unmute it. So that allowed um, my TA and I to work behind the scenes and to perfect that as best we could to um, make sure that we were comfortable with the way that we were grading and that I've, I was comfortable he was meeting my expectations too great. Um, I do, I'm lucky enough to have a graduate TA, so um, that makes a big difference. But, um, you know, we sat down, I had graded about half of the students. And then I sat down with him and we looked at what I graded and I pointed out specific things. So areas where, um, even though I had a rubric, it's still necessary to sort of discuss the nuances of the rubric and what I really expect and whether or not I wanted to be lenient in a particular area. So for example, in the beginning, I was a little more lenient on the citations 
that was reflected in the rubric also by the point total. So as time's gone on and I expected more out of those citations, I raised the amount of points that were awarded for the citations. And so that was also an indicator for the TA that, oh, we're taking this more seriously now. And so those details really begin to matter as far as you know exact formatting. Um, so really, it's just a, a matter of meeting with them, talking to them about what I value in the course, you know, having a good idea of what you really want the students to take home from any particular assignment is really important. Um, obviously, there's all these other sort of ancillary things. I mean, grammar, for instance, you know what I mean? All these things are important. We want our students to write professionally and respectfully and to take their assignments seriously. but. You know, and oftentimes you're looking for the essence of an assignment. You know, did they get it? And in those kinds of things, that's where I think just communicating with them repeatedly and saying, showing them examples like this is good, this not so much, and this is bad. I like that. And I did, I've never really thought of that, the rubric being not only a communication to students, but also a communication to your TA. You know, I, if you're the students, hopefully are looking at the rubrics, but we know that probably that may just be something that they do once if they do it in some cases. But I think, you know, that dialogue with your TA and then, you know, showing by changing the value during the rubrics to show what type of the or what part of the assignment is most important to you is a really interesting idea. Um, as you've done that, have you received any? Uh, negative feedback from students? Have they noticed the change in the rubric? Um, do you feel like it has done a good job guiding them the way you wanted them to go so far? Yes, but once again, you know, I made sure that they were prepared for it. I'm like, okay, guys, the rubric is changing. You know what I mean? There are more points awarded for the citations now, so you have to pay attention. So once again, I'm not taking anything for granted that they're doing this, that all of these things are prepared for them. Like good, another good example is that um, for these discussion posts, they had a very particular format that I wanted them to follow because we're sharing information with each other. And so if somebody's scanning through 60 other students' posts, I want them to be able to pick out information quickly. So that was a training sort of session unto itself. I had a lot of students that were trying to freestyle the way that they would post their assignment. And I'm like, no, look on the rubric. It says that you're gonna get points taken off if you don't follow my sample. So in the first several weeks, I gave them a specific sample and I said, use this sample as a template. And so, you know, a lot of them picked up on that right away, but there are a few of them that just didn't. And so, you know, it, it's part of their learning process too. I, I even responded to a student very specifically about this. I'm like, part of your learning process is understanding my requirements as much as it is for you to understand the material. So that's why we have multiple assignment opportunities. It's not just four throughout the whole semester. So that way you have time to get up to speed. And then later on, as these things start to mean more and they, they um, are more point values associated with these things that you're, you'll be ready and you'll understand it. So it's okay for you to lose a few points in the beginning. There's plenty of time for you to make that up. Um, and so that's the big thing is that these earlier sort of more lower stakes assignments have less point totals associated with them. And as we move on, then they start to see, you know, and I tell them, hey, this assignment's worth 100 points, not 25. Now, because they're not allowed to work ahead, and because they know that they have an assignment every week, 
they know the uh, the way that the grades are weighted, but they don't know what to see every week until it's there. And so that sort of unveiling to them leaves a little mystery for them to sort of say, oh, well, you know, what am I, what's going to happen this week? And so they have to pay attention. Yeah. And I, I think for me, the takeaway as someone who's never designed an online course is this is a, you know, multifaceted approach for sure. And one of the things that is resonating with me as I'm asking these questions is you have this plan to say, I'm going to change the rubric. So you literally make rubrics that change point values. That's that's step one as you're planning your course in my head, the way this sounds. Step two is that you explain ahead of time that this is going to happen. So whether it's in your syllabus or whether it's in your course introduction or whatever, you let them know, hey, as we go through the syllabus, the um, I've lost the word, the um, rubrics are going to change and you're going to have to be paying attention to that. But then also you're letting them know in the assignment level that this rubric is slanted this way and for this reason. So to me, when I think of online versus face-to-face, -face, I think of strategic plan communication a lot more than face-to-face -face because face-to-face you can just say, oh, I'm going to talk about X, Y, Z during that class period. Right. And you make it happen and the kids and the students are paying attention, get it. If you just were to only put that in the syllabus, if you only said in the syllabus, hey, pay attention to the rubrics because they're going to change and here's why. The chances of all of your students being on the same page are drastically reduced as if that's just one step of a multi-step process to get them there. And I think, you know, to me, as someone who taught face-to-face -face as a high school teacher, that's the thing that I think is standing out to me most so far in this show is that communication isn't as easy online. And it's right. kind of a paradox because online communication is very easy because all you have to do is type it and it's there. It's, you know, but the, the plan process to me, I think, is what is really hitting home for me. It's that it's not just that you have a strategy and that you're wanting to impl implement it. It's that communication to the students about what is this strategy? Why is it this strategy? And not only that, but when am I changing it? So all of those things come together to give a better chance that your students are going to be prepared for that. So it's, I think it's a very interesting thing to think about as someone designing a course for the first time or redesigning a course is how many more places can I communicate this strategy that is what I think is the most important part of my course? Like as I'm ramping it up, you show them by the rubric what's important and you continue to change that by the amount of points. But not only that, but your strategy is made clear to them too and like how they're going to see that happening. Right. So I think I just think and again, from my perspective, I see that as a important theme when developing an online course communication is not going to be as easy to get everyone to hear or read or see something is not as easy as it is in a face-to-face -face class where you're right. literally going to have their attention and you can just say, here it is. You're not really sure when you have their attention online, so you have to make sure you ingrain that into the course. Right. And the, the other thing I think is really important is to bounce off the content when you're explaining something with a colleague. Um, either use an instructional designer um, somebody here at Olitz or bounce it off a colleague and say, hey, you know, I'm kind of doing something a little different with this assignment. If you read this, what do you see? What would you do as a student? If, if I gave you this assignment, what, what would be your process or your procedure? 
And um, that's really valuable to me because I've, I've bounced things off folks here in the office and it's made a big difference for them to say, oh, well, did you mean this? And I would say, no, I meant that. And then we, so we would tweak the wording in order to make sure that um, it was understood. And then the other thing is that, you know, when an assignment comes out, I think it's also important to make sure that I allot time when students will be working on the assignment to answer questions. And so, for instance, I, I have my assignments are due every Tuesday and Sunday. And so while there are a lot of things that change in the class, the routine is that Tuesday and Sunday, Tuesday and Sunday. And, you know, the content comes out Monday morning. They wake up in the morning and they can look at all the content and prep themselves for that. And, you know, I tell them to do that. Um, if there's a particularly dense reading, I tell them to pace themselves, you know, read this first and then wait a day or something like that. And so all of those things add up. But I often, I, I mean, getting feedback from your colleagues to make sure that you're saying the right things and communicating the right way are important. And then following up with your discussion boards, like I have a discussion board that's a general course discussion. So if somebody says, I don't understand this or something's not working, then I'm there to respond. But you have to prepare yourself to do that when the students are working on the content, which is usually six hours before it's due. So if you're not a night person, don't make your assignments due at midnight because everybody's gonna be working on them between six and midnight. And so that's when the questions are gonna pop up. So that's really helpful too. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like designing when assignments are due around a schedule that you know you can be available yes. is important for online. Because like, like you said, when, you, when you're in a course, if, if they're coming to you to turn it in, an assignment, then you, you've already planned that as part of, of your routine because you're bringing this to my office or you're bringing this to class. But online, we kind of go, oh, give them till midnight because that's kind of what people do. But maybe we rethink that a little bit online and say, if it's going to be due at a certain time, I want to make sure I'm available for them up until that time. Now, would we prefer they turn it in before 11.50? Certainly. But we also kind of know inherently that students are going to be pushing it to the last minute a lot of times, too. Well, I got to say, Otis, um, this episode in particular has really struck a nerve with me in terms of communication in an online course, especially versus a face-to-face -face course. Um, I know that it's different, and I know how important communication is, but I think the, the multifaceted strategy that you're uh, trying to employ and are employing with this course is a really good one. And the other thing you know, that you just mentioned, getting that sort of peer review to look at your course um, even look at it in student view on your own and within Canvas. Um, any way to sort of put yourself in the shoes of a student and say, what are they getting out of this? Because we all think that we communicate a certain thing. And it's one of the reasons why, how many times have you shared an email before you sent it out and said, hey, can you read this and make sure this sounds right? Um, a lot of times we don't get that unless we get that feedback. So I, I think definitely you know, from this episode takeaways, if you're creating an online course or you're revising it, think really good about, um, about your communication strategy online and why it is different and how it can be more effective online by putting it in multiple places and really sort of sharing with your students that communication strategy. Um, may not need to do that face to face. You may not need to share at that level where online it helps a lot more, I think, for students to see that. And then the other one is, you know, Get help from colleagues, get help from instruction designers, um, anyone that you can put these ideas in front of and let them give you feedback and say, that's a good idea, but have you thought about this? Or it kind of sounds like this. Is that what you want it to, to mean? So 
I think going into the next episode, Otis, I'm 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 interested in. Do you have any um, exams, formal exams coming up, or any formal assessments that that you haven't had yet that are coming on the horizon? Well, this weekend we have our first milestone due for their semester-long project, which is a learning improvement plan. So that is their formal assessment that'll be done at the end as sort of their final exam turn-in. Um, but there are three milestones before that that they'll have to get through. So this first one was sort of a conceptual milestone and deciding who the subject would be. And then as we start to move forward with the content, then we're going to start talking about how to frame their references um, and the, the content that they're learning towards their subject. So if their subject is themselves, if their subject is a child, a class, uh, if they're a manager and want to imagine it, um, as their uh, employees or part of a work group or whatever the case is, but they're, you know, because learning takes place all over, right? And uh, so I wanted them to use a context that was important to them so that way they could be more interested in the content. So I think that that's, that will be the formal assessment. And so we're working on milestones and all of the content that we're doing is driving them towards understanding how to do that. So it's really the application of learning in as much as it is conceptually understanding how learning takes place and um, what sorts of environments it functions best in. All right, well, very cool, Otis. Uh, we appreciate your time. We know um, being a professor and then also having your job as the um, professional development guy here is uh, time consuming. I appreciate you taking the time with us and I'm excited to hear more next time about how this course is going and we'll see all of you back next time for episode three. See ya.